Well, on this Father's Day, I thought it appropriate that I'd bring you a, a message entitled, Man on a Mission. You know, guys, uh, we love a challenge. Uh, we, we, like thing, we like finding things that we got to overcome, that we got to figure out. We like to tinker with things that we can take apart and put back together. Uh, there are a lot of you guys here in the room that you can fix all manner of things. You are very me mechanically inclined. I am mechanically declined, all right? I can't fix anything, but I can break most everything. Uh, but we still like the challenge. We, we like the, uh, you know, that, that opportunity to figure something out. Uh, but here's the deal. The greatest challenge that you and I are ever going to face, it is not going to be found in business. It's not going to be found in family. It's not going to be found in a hobby, an outdoor expedition, or any kind of project. The greatest challenge that you and I are going to face is going to be found in crucifying ourselves and living for God. That's the great challenge that is found within the heart of a man. Now, if you got your Bibles, I hope you do, I want you to turn with me uh, to a book in the Old Testament, the, the book of Second Chronicles. That's that spot that you stop reading every year around March when you're trying to read through the whole Bible, uh, where you, oh my goodness, it's so-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so had such-and-such -such baby. In 2 Chronicles chapter 17, in just a moment, I'm going to read a passage to you about a particular guy by the name of Jehoshaphat. Uh, Jehoshaphat is actually, he, his story is told in a pretty lengthy form uh, in, in comparison to a lot of the kings of the Old Testament. And Jehoshaphat was a king in Judah. Now, at this point in the history of the Israelite, of the Hebrew people in the Old Testament, uh, they, had, uh, they had had three kings that had kept the country together. The first king was Saul. He was the king that everybody wanted, and then suddenly everybody realized that he was an unmitigated disaster and, and was very ungodly and didn't follow in the ways of the Lord. And then, the, and then God appointed David his, uh, to be uh, the next king, and he's kind of held up as the king par excellence. And then David's son Solomon ruled Israel, and then there was a civil war. And, and the people broke into two factions that is commonly referred to in the Bible as Israel and Judah. And, and Jehoshaphat is one of the kings of Judah. He's about four generations separated from David. And here in 2 Chronicles, chapter 7, let me read verses 1 through 6, just a, a little snippet of the beginning of Jehoshaphat's reign as king. His son, now his, his father's name is Asa, I'm going to talk about him in just a moment. His son Jehoshaphat became king in his place and strengthened himself against Israel. He stationed troops in every fortified city of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim that his father Asa had captured. Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked by his commands, not according to the practices of Israel." So the Lord established the kingdom in his hand. Then all Judah brought him tribute, and he had riches and honor in abundance. His mind rejoiced in the Lord's ways, and he again removed the high places and Asherah poles from Judah. Now, I know that there's a couple of names and terms maybe in there that you are not 
painfully familiar with. I'll try to give some explanation along the way. But, but men, we do want to be these guys that are on mission. We want to get to the end of our life and know that it, it meant something, that it had a powerful effect, uh, that we left behind a, a legacy, a heritage, a story, that we left behind some kind of impact that could be celebrated, emulated, uh, something that was of worth and value. Jehoshaphat was no different. He wanted to have a life that would have meaning to it. And part of this is because he had watched his father Asa. You can trace the story of Asa if you start back at chapter 15, the beginning there, because this is where Asa comes to power. And Asa started off pretty well. It says in chapter 15, verse 2, that, that Asa, uh, he went out to meet with Asa. This is the, the, the prophet. And he said to him, Asa and all of Judah and Benjamin, hear me, the Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. And if you abandon him, he will abandon you. So the prophet gives Asa a really stern warning at the beginning of his reign as king. And then there in the same chapter, 15, verses 8 and 9, it says, When Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Azariah, son of Oded, the prophet, he took courage, and he removed the aberrant idols from the whole land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities he had captured in the hill country of Ephraim. He renovated the altar of the Lord that was in front of the portico of the Lord's temple. And then he gathered all Judah and Benjamin, as well as those from the tribes of Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, who were residing among them, for they had defected to him from Israel in great numbers when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. Asa started off awesome. I mean, this is the start that you want for a guy who's going to rule the people of God. But later, he stumbled. Uh, There came a point at which Asa was older, and he was beginning to become besieged on all sides by enemies that he didn't know what to do next. And so he rebelled against God in a way that you just were not supposed to rebel against God. Well, I guess there's no right way to rebel against God. Let's just say he rebelled against God. And instead of trusting God for the protection of his people, as God had protected the people time and time again, sometimes with miraculous means, Asa struck a treaty with the king of the Aramean nation. In chapter 16, verses 9 and 10, it says, For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. You have been foolish in this manner. This is the prophet speaking to Asa. Therefore, you will have wars from now on. Asa was enraged with the seer and put him in prison because of his anger over this, and Asa mistreated some of the people at that time. Asa had gotten nervous, and he gave away his faith, his character, and his heritage in order to protect his position on the throne. He rebelled, and he struck a treaty with King Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram, in order that they wouldn't attack. He made a treaty with the enemy of God. He made a treaty with a guy who was going to influence the people of Judah with all sorts of false worship and false religions. And so Jehoshaphat decided, when he took the throne, to not follow in the way of his father, but to reach back in history to David, a man that the Bible eventually calls a man after God's own heart, 
flawed in character at times, deeply flawed, but one that he could follow in his ways. And so in this story about Asa and Jehoshaphat, I think that there are five really particular principles I want to hand to you today, and though specifically these are for the guys in the room, ladies, I think that you'll find application here as well. But first of all, I think that in the story of both Asa and Jehoshaphat, that we have to decide that we're going to persevere to the end. Number one, persevere to the end. You're going to have to decide to reject ungodly examples in your life. Uh, There are all sorts of people that have been influential in you, in your life, whether in business or in family or in the neighborhood or friends, And, and, and you can embrace them in their relationships. You can seek to be influential over them, but as a man who is going to follow after the heart of God, you're going to have to reject the ungodly influences. The, the lesson that we see from Asa's failure is perseverance. If you read Second Chronicles uh, and, and you read the story about Asa, this father, from chapter, in chapter 15 and 16, you'll see that there was a lot of stuff he did right. He was very faithful for a really long time, but there was a place at which he wavered, and and he sacrificed, and he surrendered his heritage of godliness. And it was a a lesson that Jehoshaphat needed to learn, because if you read the rest of Jehoshaphat's story, chapters 17 through 20, you'll see that there was places where he also stumbled, where he wavered, where he struck bargains and treaties with people that he should not have. And and God had to send a prophet to correct him. And and the difference between the father and the son is that the father, Asa, never went through a time of repentance. There was never course correction. Instead, he got angry at the one who delivered the message. Whereas Jehoshaphat, he turned, he saw his wicked ways, and he turned back to the Lord. It is... um, it's like what I've heard on television when I see coaches coaching running backs. Uh, as you can tell, I was never a running back on any football team. And, but I've heard this phrase be used by coaches as I've watched, you know, how this happens. And, and my youngest son, Chris, when he was a little boy, he played on a, on a local uh, football team. And, and I even heard it from that particular coach who was coaching like 10-year-olds. And they would tell the running backs, and they would, I, I heard this phrase, hit the gap, which meant there's a certain gap that the linemen are going to try to open up for you, and when the quarterback hands you that ball, you need to hit that gap. You can't hesitate. You can't stutter step. You can't wait for it to happen. You have to hit it like you mean it. And in, the, and in life, guys, if we're going to follow after the Lord, we've got to hit that gap. We've got to decide that we're just going to keep moving in the direction that has been charted out for us, that's been planned for us. We're not going to stutter step. We're not going to hesitate. We're not going to try to make our own way. Uh, we're We're going to follow the plan that Christ has for us. Asa didn't do this well, and then he got mad at at the fact that it wasn't going well. Whereas Jehoshaphat, when he saw that he had gone awry, he repented. Guys, you and I, we have a life long mission. Asa did well for a while, but at the tail end, he stumbled. And so whether it is that you are young and a teenager, or you are not young, not a teenager, 
It feels like teenage years were a long, long time ago. You're still on the lifelong mission, guys, and you can't waver. You can't say, well, I'm going to set down my staff because I don't need it anymore. I'm going to set down my work and let somebody else do it. This is a lifelong journey of faithfulness of being on the mission of God that we need to stay content, happy, satisfied, that we can continue to follow after the Lord. Persevere to the end. Number two, you need to reject the bales of the world. Now, he makes mention of this idea of Baal here in the 17th chapter. Right there in, at the end of verse 3, it says of Jehoshaphat, he did not seek the Baals. And, and, it plur, and it's plural, and it's capitalized. Uh, Baal was the god of fertility in this ancient world. In fact, he was the king of all of the gods. If you think about the, the Greek mythology that you studied maybe when you were in high school, you remember the character Zeus. This is like the ancient, ancient version of that story. Baal was the king of all the gods. He was the lord, supposedly, of everything. But there are all sorts of iterations and versions of this Baal, and so there are all sorts of idols and statues and places of worship to this Baal. And, and Baal, as a false religion, demanded complete and utter obedience, all the allegiance. You could not split your time between Baal and any of the other gods. You had to give yourself completely over to this particular religion. And it says about Jehoshaphat that he didn't seek after the Baals. He rejected them. And by rejecting him, by rejecting this false god, he was making a statement about what he was going to value in life. You see, because even though we could technically, academically define Baal as the god of fertility, as the god who is the king of all of the pantheon of gods, in a very kind of layman's understanding, here's basically what Baal is, the god of more. That's what Baal was. If you wanted more, you worship Baal. You want more crops, worship Baal. You want more cows, worship Baal. You want more kids, worship Baal. You want more success in your business? Make a sacrifice to Baal. Baal was the god of more. And by Jehoshaphat saying, I'm not going to chase after the god of more. I'm going to worship the Lord, Yahweh, the one true God. He was making a, a very definitive kind of statement that he didn't want the more that the world has to offer. He wants the more that the God of heaven is. And not, I, it's not that I need to be showered with more gifts. I want to know who the giver really is. And the kings of the Old Testament often compromised their faith in the Lord by serving Baal, this god of more, because they wanted more political power. They wanted more lands to be in their kingdom. They wanted more armies to rule over. They wanted more women in their harems. They wanted more gold in their treasuries. They wanted more for themselves. But the decision to worship the Lord our God was, was the decision that I'm going to sacrifice more, that I'm going to live for His glory, I'm going to live for His mission, I'm going to live for whatever His plan is. And guys, we need to do an inventory of the heart to decide whether or not we're living for Baal or we're living for Christ. Now, I am under no illusions. I don't think any of you have set up a little statue somewhere in the corner of your house, and on a daily basis you go over there and burn incense and make offerings. But spiritually, we can oftentimes get to this place where we're worshiping Baal much more than we're worshiping Christ. 
I, I would say that by and large, this world that we live in is driven by, uh, by the principles of power and possessions and achievements. That's what the world says is uh, success around here. Do you have more power than anybody else? Do you have more possessions than anybody else? Have you achieved more than everybody else? Well, then you're a success. But the values of the kingdom of God are something different. It's the rulership of Christ. It's the covenant relationship we have through Christ. It's being on the mission of Christ. Rather than trying to seize power, you allow the kingdom of God to rule in your life. Rather than trying to seize possessions, you value the covenant relationship that you have with Christ, that that is all you'll ever need. Instead of trying to accomplish great achievements in this world for yourself and be lauded for its praises, instead you get on the mission of God. You do everything so that everybody will belong to Christ because you don't really need anything in this world. You see, we've got this lifelong mission before us that we can't waver on, which means we're going to have to reject the bales of this world, and you've got to give your whole heart to God for your whole life. A third thing that I see here in Jehoshaphat's, uh, this little short snippet of his life, is that we need to seek the God of heaven. If you're going to reject the bales, you can't just get into a neutral position. Now, you can't just decide that you're going to live in a demilitarized zone spiritually. Well, I'm not doing anything bad, but I really don't have anything, any time to do anything good, so I'm just going to kind of live out here in no man's land. Well, there is no no man's land. Now, every, every square inch of your life and of this world is claimed by some power. And so you can't just decide, well, I'm going to reject all the bad stuff, and I'm just going to stand over here, and I'm just going to stiff arm everything for the rest of my life. You've got to belong to somebody. And so instead of just rejecting the bales of the world, Jehoshaphat pivoted. He turned so that he could then, it says, seek the God of heaven. Here in verse 4, but he sought the God of his father, and he walked by his commands, not according to the practices of Israel. We need to seek God and walk in his ways. It's, a, it's, it's two sides of one coin. When you seek the God of heaven, this is something that is both relational, and when you walk in His ways, it's behavioral. It's not just something that you mentally ascend to, some really great ideas and truth propositions, and you read the right books, and you listen to the right sermons, and you attend the right studies, and you nod your head, yes, that's right, yes, I agree, yeah, 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 and then live like the devil the other six days and 23 hours of your life. Uh, when Jehoshaphat decided that he was going to reject the Baals, it was going to become something holistic and total in his life. I think this is why Jesus tells us that you, that you can sum up the whole law with the idea that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. It's the totality of who you are that we seek the God of heaven, that it's both relational and behavioral. It's the active work in our lives. And guys... We are often guilty of a passive spirituality. We, we, we sign the card, we go through the waters of baptism, we attend the stuff, and we let everybody else kind of just pour into us. And we sit and we soak, and eventually you will sour if that's what happens. All right, that was a good Baptist line. I'm going to need an amen after I say it again. You sit and you soak, and then eventually you sour. 
All right, we're going to get it in a minute. And guys, like I opened up with, we like a challenge. As a matter of fact, there's, there's some of us that what we like is, what we like is a fight. I mean, being the father of, of two boys, I mean, there's a lot of wrestling that went on in our household when we were young. Now when they want to wrestle, I, I don't let them because I lose. But there's tussling that goes on. That's, that's an Alabama term, tussling, all right? Thank, thank you, John. I appreciate that. You, somebody's tracking with me back there. There's a reason that we watch Smash Mouth football, that we like cheesy action movies from the 80s, that there's a reason that competition is so popular with guys. We like a fight. Well, guys, if you want to fight, this is the one. It is not with the world, and it is not with the devil. It is with your own flesh. And your flesh and your faith are like two dogs fighting for control. And whichever one you feed the most is going to win. And so you got to... That was another good... Come on. And whichever one you're going to feed the most is going to win. Thank you. Yes. Guys, this is the fight, and, and you've got to decide. Have you kind of stumbled into that place of passive spirituality where you just kind of float along with, you know, kind of the, yeah, that's right, and oh, yeah, those people need Jesus, and yeah, there's that neighbor down the street that I ought to talk to, and yeah, I might be able to witness but you've got to persevere to the end. You've got to reject these bales. And you've got to seek the God of heaven because when you seek Him with all your heart, it changes you relationally and it ought to change you in the way that you live out your life behaviorally. Which then is what uncovers in Jehoshaphat life number four, and that is to rejoice in the ways of the Lord. He found joy in the right thing. And where you find your joy is where you invest your life. If you are wondering, maybe, maybe you're, you're thinking, I need a moment of clarity. I don't know exactly what it is that I, I, where I get all of my joy, where it is that I invest, you know, where I, where I get my sense of satisfaction. Here's all you got to do. Track your time and track your money. If you figure out where you spend all your time and all your money, that's where you find your joy. And so as you evaluate your life and you say, well, I, you know, I don't spend any time in the Word. I don't spend any time in prayer. I don't spend any time in ministry and in God's mission. You're not finding your, then you're finding your joy somewhere else. And so track your time and your money. John Piper, who is a retired pastor from Minneapolis, and he used this illustration about people who reach their, their golden ages of retirement. He said, you know, one of these days we're all going to stand before the throne of God, and, and we're going to and, and we're gonna have to lay down before Him, as it were. And he was using this imagery and this analogy. It makes a lot of sense because we live in a beach community. 
He says, you're going you're gonna to get to the end of, of days and you're going to stand before the throne of God and you're going to lay your sacrifices before him of what it is that you, you had in this life. And he says, none of us want to get to the throne of God and say, God, look what it is that I brought before you. Look at all my pretty seashells that I collected over the years. Look at, all the, 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 look at all the things I picked up along the way when I was just walking aimlessly on the beach. Isn't this a great collection of, aren't you, God, aren't you impressed? I found this conch shell, complete. It's not broken or busted at all. He said, how incredibly sad it would be if that's the sum total of what it is that we used for those years of our life that all we had to show for it was a really pretty seashell collection. Rather than coming before God saying, and here's my neighbor, and here's my coworker, and here's my kids, and here are my nieces and nephews, and here are my grandkids, and here are the people that I taught the word to, and here are the people that I carried the gospel to, and here are the people that I sacrificed my life so that you could intersect them with your good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. What is it that you find your joy in? Because if your joy is in traditions, then the unchurched will have no place in your circle of friends. If your joy is in having a neat life, then the lost will find no comfort in your presence because they're messed up. If your joy is found in fleshly pleasure, then the Holy Spirit cannot, will not fill you. If your joy is found in selfish protectionism of your own life, Jesus can't be glorified in you. But if your joy is found in the ways and the will of God, Jesus will get the glory, the rebellious will repent, the church will be built up, and the lost will find salvation." Rejoicing in the Lord's ways means that you trust in the Lord's heart for everything that you'll ever need, and you'll live for God's glory for everything that you ever want to be. So we've got to persevere to the end. We've got to reject the bales of this world. We've got to seek the God of heaven actively. We've got to rejoice in the ways of God. And then finally, this is where the rubber meets the road for all of us. Number five is you've got to tear down your idols. You've got to tear down your idols. Now, it's not, again, that I think that you've got a little Buddha statue somewhere in the corner of your house, or, or you've, got, you've got a shrine to some ancestor worship somewhere tucked away in a corner. But the reality is, as it has been summarized, the, the teachings of Martin Luther, the great uh, uh, once former Roman priest, uh, Roman Catholic priest who became uh, the leader of the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s, uh, many of his teachings have been summarized this way. The human heart is an idol factory. It's what we produce. We produce idols. We chase after things to worship. That is the reality of who we are. We are by nature worshipers. But the nature of God is this, worship or flee. There's, there's no half-stepping in the presence of God. You either got to worship or you got to flee from His presence. And so you and I, we're worshiping someone or something. We're all worshiping. And sometimes we worship ourselves with protectionism, with selfishness, with ambition, that we want everybody to recognize that the gravitational pull that they feel is us because we're the center of the universe, or we're going to decide that we want to worship the King of glory. And so here in this, in this passage about Jehoshaphat, there in verse 6, it says, "...his mind rejoiced in the Lord's ways, and he again removed the high places and the Asherah poles." 
The high places were altars that were up on hilltops, and Asherah poles, uh, about the most modern equivalent that I can tell to you historically, were like totem poles. Uh, they, were, they were large wooden pillars that had all sorts of carvings in them of the faces of, of various gods or deities or things to worship. And it says that Jehoshaphat once again, he had to do it again. And, and later on in his ministry, he was going to have to do it again. And throughout all the history of the Israelites, they had to do it again and again and again because people kept putting up Asherah poles. They kept putting up places to worship false gods. You know, this is, again, guys, let me just say, this is no time to be passive. This is the place where we step forward to have a prophetic work as a man on mission, that you're going to stand for the truth. You know, right now, one of the favorite phrases going around all sorts of media is fake news. Fake news this, fake news that, that channel's fake news, that paper's fake news. Well, here's the deal. We should be a whole lot more concerned with, with the fake beliefs than we are about the fake news. Because we've got neighbors, and we've got family members, and we've got kids and grandkids, and we've got co-workers that have bought into all sort of fake beliefs that they're going to bust hell wide open when they die. And we've got to decide that, th that that matters to us, that God's glory matters to us, that their salvation matters to us. And so it's no time to be passive when it comes to the truth and you need to get armed with the sword of the Spirit so that your family and your friends and your community that are counting on you, that they, can, that they will see you actively working against the false gods and giving out the real hope that is found in the gospel. Guys, this is the fight of our lifetime. The fight of your lifetime was not back when you played football in high school. The fight of your lifetime is not when you're wrestling with your preschooler trying to get the diaper on frontwards rather than backwards. The fight of your lifetime is not to make sure that your 401k stays at just the right level so you can retire or stay retired. Those are not the fight of your lifetime. It's not even the weeds in your yard that grow 11 and a half months out of the year. That's not the fight of your lifetime. The fight of your lifetime is going to be against your flesh. And guys, today is a day that I want to call you to engage in this battle, to follow in the way of Jehoshaphat, not Asa. Reach back all the way to live in the way of David who had a heart like God's. If you find yourself in a place today where you think, man, my heart is so far from God. I am so separated from His truth. I don't spend any time with Him. Today is the day for you to get down here, get on your knees, and, and whether it is weep before the Lord or cry out with strength because the Spirit is enabling you to say, I want whatever it is that God has for me. Lord, if, if that's a call to, uh, to mission and ministry, then I want it. If it's a call to be just faithful to my wife and to my kids, that's what I want. If, if it is to give me guidance about how to care for my grandkids and my extended family, that's what I want. If it is just simply the call to be more faithful with engaging His Word and in prayer to intercede for the, the missionaries that are across the globe and for your neighbors that are across the street, that's what you want. But here's what I know, is that God calls all of us. He calls us to faithfulness. He calls us to relationship. So however it is that God is calling you today, whether to membership in a church or to following Him in baptism or to faithfulness in your, in your everyday life or to a whole new season of ministry, today's the day to follow that call. Let's pray together.